uh, you're staying in. And so whenever anyone's speaking and you, you know that the youth are in, you're trying to think about what they'll engage with, etc. Well, there are three things in church that the youth are always going to be interested in hearing about questions. The first question is, what does the Bible say about sex? Secondly, what does the Bible say about the end times? And thirdly, will there be sex during the end times? And if you speak on any of those three subjects, then apparently young people are bound to be engaged. So we can talk about sex. No, we're not. We're going to talk about Daniel chapter 7 to 12. How many of you have been with us for any of the Daniel series over the last six weeks? Great. Okay, I hope you did enjoy it. It didn't sound like you did when uh, Janet spoke, but I'm hoping that's just reserve. Uh, if not, then okay, fine. But I want to encourage you to get the CDs and to listen to them. Um, because Janet's totally right. I mean, I've been listening to them again and some of the stuff Dan's brought and some of the stuff I brought as well because, you know, when, when, you, when you hear it and you prepare it, God sometimes wants to bring it back afresh. And Daniel 1 to 6 is fairly straightforward in that it tells stories from history and then we've kind of made links of what that means for us, okay, living in modern life. Daniel lived in uh, exile in Babylon as a 15-year-old. He was taken out of Jerusalem, brought up in Babylon, became one of the powerful rulers of the day. Kings came and went. We've looked at all of that. His friends faced the fiery furnace. Um, He had to interpret dreams of the king. Uh, Last week, we looked at the fact that he was in the lion's den in his 80s, still standing for God. Daniel 1 to 6 is fairly self-explanatory. It's fairly standard. Daniel 7 to 12 is a whole different deal. Okay, Daniel chapter 7 to 12 is contentious. It's strange. Chronologically, it's all mixed up. Some of the things in, in the later chapters of Daniel actually occurred in the, in the time frame of the first six chapters. So we need to have a little look at that. There is a suggestion that it could have been written, this section, by somebody else later in history, simply because the prophecies that Daniel brought were so accurate and so fulfilled in terms of the, the world events. I don't believe that personally. I do believe it's the work of, of Daniel. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give you a brief overview of Daniel 7 to 12. Bear in mind that one chapter takes 45 minutes. You're in for a very long morning, all right? So just buckle up your seatbelts and here we go. Daniel 7 occurs chronologically before Daniel chapter 5. So at the time when Daniel writes this chapter, or receives this vision rather, he's around 70 years of age. The vision in Daniel 7 connects back to the statue. We've got a little statue over here, that King Nebuchadnezzar built in Daniel 3 that he saw in a dream in Daniel 2. And um, Daniel gets this vision of all these beasts that connect up to the statue and these are are their meanings, that the lion, the the vision of the lion, uh, talks of the head of gold, which speaks of Babylon, the empire of Babylon. The bear talks of the chest of silver, speaks of the Medo-Persian empire. The leopard speaks, uh, connects to the belly of bronze, which speaks of the Greek empire, which comes later. The terrifying beast, as he describes it, is the legs of iron, which speak of Rome. And then he talks about two other kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. All these kingdoms, uh, he sees in a vision uh, and refers to them, okay, or or prophesies about them. And these kingdoms came and went, okay, and we know that from history. Then in chapter 8, this is two years later, he gets a vision of a ram and a goat. And this broadens out the whole thing and he begins to see and hear things about Israel and references the future. Daniel chapter 9, we find Daniel in intercessory prayer. He gets a glimpse of the future, what the future could look like, and he prays. There's the visit of the angel Gabriel, which brings him insight and understanding. There's the 77s, or 70 weeks, which begin to refer to God's dealings with the people of Israel. 
Let me pause there for a moment and just give you an aside, okay? Because uh, I wanted to make a few asides this week like I did last week. Israel has always and always will be very important to God and to the purposes of God. However, there are some dangers that we can get into when it comes to the subject of Israel. One is to think that every single thing that happens in the Middle East has somehow got to link to prophecy and mean something. I don't believe personally that is always the case. And the second thing I think we are in danger of sometimes is thinking that because Israel is important to God, and it is, that everything Israel does is okay because they're Israel. I don't believe that's true. You see, the rules that God applies are the rules that God applies. And the way we treat people and the way we act and behave, we are accountable for that, whether we're Israel or not. Israel is very important to the plan and the purposes of God, but we must not get sucked down that path. And some Christians do this, where it don't matter what Israel does, because they're Israel. I personally don't believe that that is the case. Then in chapter 10, we've now gone to the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Daniel is now 84 or 85, and he lives long enough to see the, the exile return, the people who were brought into captivity going back to Babylon. So he t- was taken out as a 15-year-old out of Israel. He's now in his mid-80s and he sees the first people going back to Jerusalem, going back to Israel. This is the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, okay, other books in the Bible. And um, you also see in chapter 10 the reality of spiritual warfare. Because it says in chapter 10, verse 12 and 14, it says, Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. And this is, this is the vision, the voice coming to Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now these aren't real people, real people. This is about prayer and about spiritual warfare and the battle that there is in the heavenly places. Okay, you're all getting all of this, aren't you? I can see it. <laughs> It's all quite out there, isn't it, in terms of what this all means. Then we come to Daniel chapter 11 and 12. And here we begin to talk about, begin to think about the end times, okay, and what will happen at the end of the world, etc. The classical interpretation of the events are the rise of the Antichrist, the tribulation, wars and invasions, battle of Armageddon, return of Christ to defeat the Antichrist, resurrection of the dead, and the glorious kingdom. You've got all that, haven't you? Okay, and, and, and that these things are referred to or alluded to or potentially within these, the book of Daniel. And then obviously when you look at other books like Revelation, you see all these things emerge. In the light of prophecy about the end time, the big question for us as believers is how are we to act and how are we to react in the light of all of this kind of stuff. And just to kind of get us thinking, I thought we'd have a few more deep thoughts just to focus our minds. exactly when Christ will return, but it could happen at any time, and every second brings us closer to it. That's why it's important for Christians to live every day as though it's our last day on earth. This is what I have done every day for the last three months. Wake up early, eat ice cream for breakfast, skip work, because who wants to work on their last day on earth? Tell my landlord that I don't have the rent, but it doesn't matter because Jesus is coming today. Call all my non-Christian friends and tell them each goodbye and tell them to send me a postcard from hell get dressed up in my nicest suit and climb up on the roof with a big sign that says welcome Jesus and wait for the special moment to come. I do this every day and even though my landlord is suing me, I've lost my job and my non-Christian friends block my calls, I truly live every day as though it's my last. These have been 
deep thoughts from a shallow Christian. Now, can I just say, that's not the advice that we're giving you this morning, okay? Please don't anybody go away and say, the pastor told me to not work or whatever or do all that. That's just a little bit of fun. I want to make a couple of statements about the whole business of the end times. And I'm aware that some of this will be frustrating to some of you. Some of you won't agree with what I say. Some of you are far more uh, knowledgeable on this subject than I am because you spent years and years, all right, plotting every last thing and you know every last jot and tittle. I'm not really bothered about that. I believe that the statements I'm going to make are true and are helpful to us as we look at this very important subject of the end times. The first statement is this. Interpreting biblical end time prophecy is difficult and potentially dangerous. What do I mean? We have always had a fascination with trying to work out and interpret prophecies and signs. So the ten horns of the beast, which Daniel speaks about, out of which the Antichrist emerges, and there's laws passed, okay, and there's all that passage there. Of course, that's got to be the European Union, hasn't it? Because there were ten countries. The problem is there's 27 now, and growing. And people have done that, and they've said, and, and I know Christians who will, who will absolutely tell me that, you know, that this is the EU, and someone will, and I don't know whether that's true or not, but all I know is that potentially that can be dangerous and very difficult. The army of the north was always Russia, but now it's not. It's China. And all these things, and we think about, and then the obvious one, the big one, is the Antichrist. And of course, the Pope has always been nomination in the category of. Uh, Others have included the Emperor Nero, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, JFK, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, and of course, our very own Peter Mandelson. Okay? Now, I'm not scoffing any of that. I'm saying that our fascination... We're trying to interpret that is difficult and potentially dangerous. And the biggest one of all is the date that Jesus will return on. Because even though it's really clear in the Bible, it's really clear. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 36, no one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. We still try to do it. We still try to work out what the date will be. And so in my research for this, I've been staggered at some of the people through history who've got into this. And, and, and I found a newspaper ad, this is apparently true, of, of, of the editor of the, or writer of a newspaper who, who, who posted this. Yesterday, he said, I predicted the world would come to an end. It did not. I apologize for any inconvenience this may have caused. It's like, all right then, that's all right, just carry on then. Charles Wesley, the writer, the Methodist writer of hymns, got caught up in this whole business as well. William Miller, you may have heard of the Millerites in the mid-1800s. They got really caught up in this. Had some really crazy stuff. Joseph Smith that founded the Mormons. The Jehovah's Witnesses have had at least 10, if not more, dates when they predicted that Jesus would return. A guy called Moses Davis set up the Children of God, a faith group, predicted that the Battle of Armageddon will take place in 1986 and Russia would defeat Israel and the United States. There was a book written called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988. And it's amazing how people got caught up in that whole deal. And before you think, oh, only in America, it isn't only in America, it's right across the world. And in fact, I remember when I I came to this church um, in my late 20s, three years ago, um, uh, as the the assistant pastor. And I remember one of the first services that I led, um, uh, leading leading the service, and the pastor at the time, Nigel, was away. um, And and this instance happened. And uh, a fellow from the church, who's no longer here, so I feel free to say it, kind of came out. And 
our practice here is that if people feel that God is saying something to them to share with everybody else, they come and check it with one of us who are leading the meeting. And we just kind of test that to make sure we feel that that's right and this is an appropriate time, etc., etc. So he came to me and said, I want to share something. I feel that God's saying, you know, something about we must get ready for when Jesus returns. And I thought, well, that's fine. I agree with that. And so he said everything that I thought he was going to say. And then I said, go for it. So I'm standing here. He then comes and takes the mic here, starts saying that, and then says, and this book, and pulls a book out of his pocket, which he didn't tell me about. It says, and this book tells you that it's going to be May the 28th, to which I'm then in trouble, aren't I? <laughs> so I have to kind of lovingly, and not allowing him too much embarrassment, kind of correct that. Because the Bible is really clear. We were never meant to know the day or the hour. And yet we've been fascinated with it, over the last 2,000 or so years. So I want to say trying to interpret and work out all the prophecies and the signs is not only difficult, potentially it's dangerous. Number two, and this is where I may ruffle some feathers this morning. Our view of the end times is often depressing and hopeless. The classical view for modern believers is this, that we, at some point in the future, will all disappear in a thing called the rapture by which there is no reference to that in the Bible at all in terms of that word. There are scriptures that people have interpreted as that, and that's fine, but there's no reference to it in the Bible. That we will get taken out, okay, there will be seven years of suffering called the tribulation, during which the 144,000 Jews will witness to Christ. The end of the tribulation, Christ will return, bind the powers of Satan, establish his kingdom here on earth for a thousand years called the millennial reign. Satan will then be released for a short time to wreak havoc, finally cast into the lake of fire for eternity. There are lots of scriptures to back this up and that's fine if that's your view, but there are other views. There are other views. In fact, the theory of the rapture is a relatively modern theory. And I didn't really know this. It only came around in the 1850s with a guy called John Darby from the Plymouth Brethren who developed this theory called, it's called dispensationalism. Prior to that, believers didn't believe that about the rapture at all. And this kind of view that somehow will be all taken out if you're a believer and the world will continue spiraling down the toilet okay, is a relatively modern view. Popularized by the series Left Behind. Anyone read any of the Left Behind books? Fine, I read them as well. And that's fine. And if you believe that, then that's fine. I'm not saying that. But I want you to think that that is a theory and there are lots of them. Prior to the 1850s, believers didn't believe that at all. In fact, historically before that, believers believed classically that Christ would come again to judge the living and the dead in a single event which was both climactic and purposeful. And as he returned to earth, he would join the efforts of his people in trying to establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, a just social order where the shalom of God was there, where everything was right and correct and as God wants it to be. So everyone having a decent job and a decent house, no infant mortality, no fear of trafficking or exploitation, no racism, no hatred. That's the, the world that, that Christians believe that God was coming to establish. That the second coming of Christ wasn't something like hopeless and despairing, but it was where he would come and join the efforts of his people in seeing established on the earth a new earth just as it is in heaven. That's the theory. 
And so when you look at the Revelation, you look at Daniel, you look at some of these others, and you see uh, phrases like the whore of Babylon, okay, which is always a great, like, you know, the whore of Babylon. And people think it's a person and think, who is the whore of Babylon? But actually, if you believe that Babylon is symbolic of the dominant culture in which we live in, then perhaps the whore of Babylon is the seduction of the dominant culture in which we live in. And if Daniel's dominant culture was Babylon, then the Persian Empire, and and that was the culture, perhaps our culture of hedonism and materialism and consumerism, the whore of Babylon could be the way in which our culture seduces us into bowing down to it, worshipping it, and, and, and becoming part of it. And if you're a guy this morning, do you know that you're a guy? Anyone seen the Lynx adverts? Do you believe them? Some of you have tried it. It doesn't work, does it? One spray of links, fellas, and fabulous girls will just bow down and worship you. Been trying it for years, boys. It doesn't work, okay? And the seduction of our culture and the media and the way it draws us in, I want to suggest that could be a great interpretation of the whore of Babylon, the seduction of our culture. You see, there's a view that the second coming of Christ is ultimately about hope, that Christ is going to return. And he's joining in the efforts of his people to establish a new earth as it is in heaven. This desperate theology of the end times, of a world going down the toilet with no hope, that God's people are jumping into life rafts and paddling away. That's a view, but it's a relatively modern view. It's a relatively modern view. And whatever your view and your mix of views, and I'm not giving you all of my views this morning, there are some questions I think we would all agree on. We would agree on this question. Why on earth didn't God make it clearer? Anyone ever thought that? Because look, to be honest with you, if you'd have just made it clearer, God, then we wouldn't have been having any of these discussions. Why didn't he tell us the exact dates and times and events? And why has every age, every age since Christ, expected, anticipated the return of Christ? Because it's true. Peter, James and John thought Christ was coming back in their lifetime. Origin, Aquinas, Francis of Assisi, William Booth, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Jeffreys. Every Christian in every age has anticipated and believed that Christ would come back in their lifetime. In fact, you could use a word that none of us like in our modern culture. Waiting. We're all waiting, aren't we? We're all waiting. Father, just as we think now about what this all means for us and how we're to react and act, Lord, in the light of the fact that you are coming again, and we don't know when it is, God, I pray that you will fill us with hope, fill us with faith, and fill us with love. In Jesus' name, amen. I often hear people say, are we in the last days? Of course we are. We have been for 2,000 years. You knew that, didn't you? Because biblically, the phrase, the last days, is anything from Christ onwards. Before that, it was the former days, last days. We're in the last days. Where are we? Who knows? We don't know. We don't know. 
And God didn't tell us when Jesus was coming again for a really, really good set of reasons. And I want to go through those this morning. Firstly, to motivate us. Could you imagine how demotivating it would be if you knew exactly when Christ was returning? Because actually those first Christians we looked at last week that faced persecution in the Colosseum um, with, with lions and that faced um, you know, the, being burnt at the stake and all this kind of stuff. And they were suffering for the gospel. And imagine if, if they thought, if that God said to them, that's fine, I'm going to come again in 1500 years time. How demotivating would that have been to them? But they believed that Christ would come at any moment. And it helped them endure, it helped them persevere. The Bible says in Revelation to the church at Ephesus, I know your good deeds, I know your hard work, I know your perseverance. You know, perseverance is a word that we've all neglected. You know that many of us in our culture don't like that word perseverance. And yet the fact that Christ could come again at any moment should motivate us to persevere because we want to be ready when he comes back, don't we? He could come back at any moment or in thousands of years. We don't know. And that's a good thing because it can motivate us. But secondly, we also, God didn't tell us because he wanted to test us. The challenge is to be ready when he returns. Not as a threat, but as a promise. In Luke 18 verse 8, it says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And and not just that, will he find people who believe in God, but will he find active, living, dynamic faith like Daniel had? You know, Daniel lived as a 15-year-old full of faith. He lived as an 85-year-old full of faith. I love that, don't you? And if any moment, if God had come for him, or if he died, any moment, it's the same thing in one sense, okay? Being ready for God. He was full of faith. God would have found faith in that man. Not just a belief in God, but an active, dynamic faith where you know who you are, you're connected to God, and you're dealing with issues in your life because you know that at any moment, God could come again. You know, I, I often think that, I, I, I do this quite a lot these days now. When I'm involved with funerals, I do a little bit more the older I get, I think. But as I'm involved with funerals and I'm aware that in every family, there's always a certain little amount of dysfunction. You know what I'm talking about. And family difficulty. And often at funerals, I will say to people, do you know what? This is a great opportunity for your family to come together. This is a great opportunity for you to deal with some issues because there's always someone not talking to someone in my experience. But you know, if we as believers lived with the reality that Christ would come at any moment, we would not tolerate living too long with those kind of things in our life, would we? And there's a verse to prove that in 1 John 2 verse 28 and it says this, listen to this verse, this is such a powerful verse. And now dear children, Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Wow. Who wants to be confident and unashamed when Christ comes? I do. And so attitudes in our life, behaviors in our life, relationships in our life, lifestyle choices in our life. Will we be confident and unashamed if Christ was to return and saw us there? I was brought up with this kind of, brought up in the kind of 70s and early 80s where Thief in the Night was big. Anyone remember the song Thief in the Night, Cliff Richard? And I wish we'd all been ready and all this kind of stuff. And what it does is it's this idea that, you know, Christ could come at any minute and what are you going to be doing? And as a teenage boy, all right, my fear was Christ would come and I'd be snogging some girl behind the church. 
which was probably accurate for me in my teenage life. And this idea that God could come, Christ could come, and I might be in the cinema, or I might be in the pub, or I might be doing, you know, watching something. And this idea, what it did though, is it caused you to, to watch what you were doing, should do anyway. And this idea that when Christ comes, will we be confident and unashamed at his coming? So I want to say to you, if there are issues in your life, and there are relationships in your life that aren't right, and they're broken, and you know that, you have an opportunity today to do something about it. Because tomorrow, Christ could come. And you want to be confident and unashamed that He's coming, don't you? And so that's why it's there. That's why we don't know. You see, if we knew, so actually, I know, because God has told us that actually He ain't coming for another thousand years. Hey-ho. Or if we know, well, actually, He's not coming for another 20 years, so I'll, I'll put it right in 19 years' time. But because we don't know the day or the hour, it helps to test us to keep us sharp. And then finally, it's there to shape us into being the people that God wants us to be. I want to look at a couple of chunks of scripture with you. So if you've got a Bible, and I would encourage you to bring your Bible to church on a Sunday when you come. Guys, it's really, really important just to get yourself reading it yourself and looking at it. In 1 Thessalonians 5, and then we're going to go to Romans 13, okay? So both in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5, and they're similar verses really. I'm going to kind of put them together and then just draw out a few points and then we're going to do something different to finish. It says this in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 4, But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Then in Romans 13, verse 11 to 14, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He's talking about when Christ comes and it's all kind of getting wrapped up. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. And if you look at both those passages of Scripture, there are a whole load of prompts coming out at me here. And I want to just throw them out at you before we finish First one is this, wake up, wake up. Any of you have seen the film Inception? It came out on Friday night, I saw it. It's a fabulous film about dreams and reality and three levels of dreams. And can you, can, can you know what's a dream, what's a reality, a dream within a dream within a dream? It's really complex, but it's a brilliant film. But this whole idea of what is dream and what is reality. And then here's the truth that all of us could understand. You never know that you've been in a dream, so you wake up, do you? And all of a sudden, you've woken up. And there's this idea, and the writers of the the New Testament are saying, listen, Christ is coming at any moment. Wake up. You shouldn't be asleep. As a believer, you shouldn't be asleep. You should be alert and awake. Awake to who you are. Awake to God. Awake to each other. Awake to the world around you. Don't be caught asleep in slumber. Wake up. Throw off the deeds of darkness and all the sin and all the junk that you get full of in your life. Just throw it all off. 
you know, often like you're talking to not just younger people these days, and they're getting all kinds of stuff, and see how, how, how much alcohol we can drink, and how many people we can sleep with, and how many drugs we can take, and how much of this, and how much of that, and that's kind of living as if, like, is life's just going to go on, and nothing's going to change. Christ could come back at any moment. Christ could come back at any moment. Wake up. Wake up. Why are we living like that? Let's throw off the deeds of darkness. Let's put on, the Bible says, the clothes of Christ. Let's stand up for Christ. Let's show up and encourage each other all the more, the Bible says, as you see the day approaching. And let's speak out. Let's be a voice crying out in our wilderness. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm intrigued and concerned right now about our nation and about our community. And I've been in lots of meetings the last couple of weeks with politicians and with people in the community and the cuts and the economic situation that's affecting so many jobs and, and there's a lot of uncertainty about it. anyone know what I mean you know that in your many of you are involved in that but you know what with all of that uncertainty which is very real and we need to we need to be people in the midst of that who are people of hope don't we who are people of a calm presence saying it may be like that but God's still God we don't, might not say it like that but you know what I mean that we're people of hope and we're standing up. It's not all going down the toilet. God has not finished with his planet yet, I believe. And I believe that God dreams not only that every person would find faith in him, but that this planet would be as he intended it to be. A new heaven and, and a new earth. And in the light of Jesus coming back at any moment, at any time, let's make sure we're motivated. Let's make sure we're alert. Let's make sure we're ready for, to be those kind of people that God wants to see when he comes. As we finish this morning, we're going to just focus a little bit on eternity. Ask the band to come back up. And I've asked Vicky to sing a song that she's sung before, and many of you will know it. And it, it just kind of, it's a simple thought, really. It's like the, the song's called Imagine. And can you imagine what it will be like to see Christ in his fullness? Do you know what I mean? Whether it's because he's come, you know, again as the second coming, or whether it's because you've died and you're in heaven and, and you're with Christ. But can you imagine what it's like? And, and, and I, I, because we need to be people that live with the reality of that that's a hope. It's not a threat. It's a promise. One day we'll see Jesus, won't we? Won't we? And that will be amazing, won't it? And the Bible says at the end of time when we all see him fully, there'll be no tears, there'll be no pain, there'll be no loneliness, there'll be no suffering, there'll be no dislocation, there'll be no disconnect. Everything will be perfect. And of course we think, don't we, that when we see Jesus, we'll have loads of questions for him. Do you know what? You won't have any. You won't give a rip about where the dinosaurs came from and did Adam have a belly button and all that kind of stuff. You won't care. Because when you see Christ, you'll just be so full of worship. You will bow down and say, God, you are my God and my King. And I want to tell you this morning, if you don't know Christ, this isn't the normal kind of message that we do here at this church, okay? But this is where we are. But if you don't know God, you can know God this morning. And I don't want to use the second coming, the end times, as a threat to hang over you. Many people have done that. You know, all your friends who are Christians, they're going to be whipped away and you'll be left in. I don't want to use that at all. I want you to know God loves you. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and to die for you so that you could have a relationship with God. You can know him. Your guilt, your fears, your worries, your concerns, you'll still have some, but the deep ones, the deep ones that drive you can be gone. And you can know that you have not only an eternity to be with God, but that God can be with you right now here on planet Earth. And as, as Vicky sings this song, I want you to just to, not just hear it as a piece of music, hear it as something to stir your spirit. Okay, as we say, wow, imagine what that day will look like when I see Christ face to face. Now we see 
in part, one day we shall see fully. Yeah.
just stand together? Just ho- hold this, this moment for a bit. And just come with me. I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine there's going to come a day when there's no more pain. There's no more tears. The loss of your loved ones, that will be gone. Your questions and your achings and your longings will be gone. The limitations of your body will be gone. The deep loneliness that sometimes we feel and nobody else ever knows about will be gone. The insecurity will be gone. The sicknesses, the, 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 the habits, the sins that we've battled with. Some of us have battled with the same issues in our life for nearly all of our life. It'll be gone. Everything that limits us will be gone and we will be in heaven and we will be before our God. And it will be nothing but joy and worship and peace and love and beauty and purity. And isn't that an amazing thing? And we live with that hope. We live with that hope. And that doesn't, doesn't shouldn't make us selfish or, or, or insular. It should make us confident and it should make us hopeful about the future. But it should also drive us to say, God, in the time that you give me here on earth, I want to make a difference for you. Because there's so much more that God wants to do in this planet, in this community, in your job, in your family, in your street, in this town. There's so much more that God wants to do. He's not finished with us yet, has he? He's not finished with us. In the light of the fact that he's coming, we can be hopeful. And at the same time, we must be active for him as well. And we're going to finish by singing a song that we sing every so often. It's not one of our regular songs because it's so specific. But it's a song that just reminds us that God is the God of our city. He's the God of our community. He's the God of this place. And as we sing, we're reminded that there is still much more to be done, isn't there? And believers that live with the right perspective on the end times are hopeful and purposeful, but we're active and we're awake and we're alert and we want to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, don't we? Don't we? Christ can come again at any moment. We're going to do all that we can with his help to see this community become transformed as God wants it to become. So let's sing this as a declaration of intent this morning. And let's ask God to give us the faith that's got what it takes, yeah, to live hopeful and active, alert 